Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Fool's Daily. Um, there are so many people on this call, uh, I'm going to rattle through introductions very, very fast. So first of all, we have Mr. Matthew Spooner. Uh. Then we have Mr. Conrad E.J. Gonsalves. Uh. Then we have the intelligent Mr. Joel Henry. Hello, hello. And then we have a very special guest. Um, some of you will know who he is. Some of you won't. So we'll get him to do a little introduction. Um, but we asked very special guest is from Ninja Division and is Mr. Justin Gibbs. Mr. Hello. Justin Gibbs. Hello. <laughs> nice so, to be here again. Yeah. It's lovely to talk to you again. Yeah. So, so Mr. Justin Gibbs used to work at another games company. But he doesn't now. He works at Ninja... Is it Ninja Division or is it Soda Pop, Justin? I'm not sure. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's technically Ninja Division. It's kind of one and the same. <laughs> so Justin, Justin works at Ninja Division. Um, last time I saw you, I spoke to you, you were dealing with uh, Super Dungeon Explore. Yep. Um, but now you're dealing with Relic Knight 2nd Edition. And, yeah, um, that's correct. It's been uh, it's been really exciting working on a, a bunch of different miniature games here. Uh, we got uh, second edition of Super Dungeon Explorer knocked out in terms of game design, so I am moving on to Relic Knights, which is a super cool game. So that's what we're, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, Justin, for people who don't know who you are, quick thirty second introduction, and then a slightly longer introduction if you want to the world of Relic Knights. <laughs> uh, sure. So me, uh, I initially worked for uh, Weird Miniatures, uh, worked a lot on Malifaux Second Edition. Um, then I moved over to Ninja Division to work on Super Dungeon and now Relic Knights. Uh, I also enjoy long walks on the beach, that sort of thing, but not as relevant to the conversation. So. <laughs> okay, so there's that's Justin's thirty second intro. What is Relic Knights, Justin? Uh, so Relic Knights is a tabletop uh, skirmish miniatures game, which I think uh, a lot of us here are, are into that category of games. Um, it uses cards instead of dice. Uh, it's set in a sort of sci-fi anime style world. Um, the world of Relic Knights is sort of under siege by uh, the void. There's the dark space calamity and universes are disappearing. And this is, in fact, the last universe. Um so you get your cool anime styled models on the table. Uh you blow each other away and you try to score objectives and do that sort of a miniature gamey type of thing. That's uh a Relic Knights in a nutshell. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um so some of our listeners will be familiar with first edition Relic Knights. Um I pl- I played it, uh I know Conrad still plays it. Joel, did you did you Joel Matt, did you ever pick it up? Uh I had a couple of demos, but I wasn't in the Kickstarter and never got around to getting any models when it released, so just a couple of demos for me. And no, I, I never played. Because you didn't I, well uh, the, it it kind of the Kickstarter picked up quickly and um but then locally had issues and perhaps that's something we'll we'll talk about later of uh Overcoming that, I've I've played one, one five, two, and two point one now. 
Okay. All right, so Connor, this is really your discussion. So No, it's Justin's discussion. <laughs> so 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 why a second edition, Justin? Uh just to uh sort of clean up some of the rules and uh make it a little bit more accessible, try to get more people into the game. Um, just clean up a few sticking points. Same reason any game has a second edition, really. Uh, you get to a point where you start changing things, and you change a few more things, and you tweak things, and you realize, like, oh, okay, it's time for just a, a new edition. Um, but to, to talk a little bit more about the uh, the game, one of the cool things that makes Relic Knights unique is it's a very hit-and-run style game. Uh, so when you have a unit, it gets to move, it gets to get action, then it gets to move again. So you can kind of dive out of cover, shoot a guy, dive back behind cover. Um, it's very dynamic. Uh, you, there's actually no ranges on any of the guns. So it's very terrain heavy, uh, very tactical in that, um, that aspect of it, which is one of the cool elements that we're really trying to keep when bringing it over to second edition. Um, but yeah, the reason for the new edition change was basically just to, uh, to, to clean things up, broaden the audience, try to get more people in, uh, try to make it a cleaner, just, uh, overall, uh, new edition of the game. So, so, so was it a clean start from a clean slate type of philosophy or did you look at what you had there and sort of decide what was good, what was bad and keeping Um, what you wanted to keep or... Yeah, when you do a new edition, um, you always kind of have to look at what's there uh, and what's good and what's bad. Um, with an edition change, you never really have a clean slate. Uh, but that's not a bad thing. It gives you some good guiding points. Um, and you really just want to look at the game and kind of boil down what are the really important aspects of this game we absolutely need to keep, uh, what's not working that we absolutely need to change, and what sort of falls in between that we need to make a decision on. Um, so for Relic Knights, second edition, in my opinion, the, the great points about the game were the hit and run aspect of it, uh, the move, action, move, where you get to, like, you're diving in and out of cover. It's really dynamic. Um, the, uh, lack of ranges was really cool, which makes terrain so important to the game. Um, and also the continuous turn system, which I haven't talked about yet. So in most miniatures games, you either have, you have two modes of thought. Uh, you have I go, you go, where I, have all of my models, I use all of my models, then you go and you use all of your models, right? That's like Warhammer 40k. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have alternating activations where I have a unit, I use it, you have a unit, uh, you use it, and we go back and forth until everything's activated. Um, that's like Malifaux. Uh, Relic Knights actually uses neither of those. There are no turns. Um, so I would activate a unit, uh, then you would activate a unit, we go back and forth, and we never actually reset. Um, and I could go into the mechanics of how that works. Uh, the first edition of the game used a queue system where you lined up the cards and had a queue, uh, as Conrad, I'm sure you're familiar with. Yep. Um, the new edition uses activation tokens. Uh, so the two editions do that differently, but that core element of having a continuous activation system with no turn reset, uh, I felt was one of the important cool points to keep as well. Um, and those are just talking broad sort of meta points for people who haven't played the game. There are, there are others like faction identity, uh, making sure that the no have big, scary melee guys and black diamond can shoot really well, et cetera. Cersei speed circuit should be really fast. Um, that sort of thing. But those are sort of the big overview points that I wanted to keep about the game. Can we just touch on the queue? I mean, cause that was one, as I say, I played, I played a few games of it, and that was one of the unique 
things that 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 first edition relic knights had was the the idea of the queue and so you would cycle your units and you're effectively preparing two three models ahead what you wanted to activate it's very similar to a system that's used in um star wars armada with the command dials i don't know if you're familiar with it where you have to you basically you say in my third movement of a ship this will be the order that i'm doing um but my understanding and i i sort of i've scanned the um the, the there was a blog post that conrad pointed me in the direction of which was a these are the sort of the changes that we're doing and so now you have this activation token system. Can you explain a bit more how that works compared with how the queue worked? And does that mean that that nice, the map, the gaming map that you had where you had everything laid out, does that disappear as well? Um, I don't really know too much about the gaming map. Uh, I'd have to ask about that. Oh, okay. Uh, but as for the changes to the queue, um, the original queue had some, a few issues in my opinion. Uh, First off was that it sort of took the action off the table. So you'd be looking at your units lined up, you'd lean over and look at their units lined up, and it kind of distracted from the game going on on the table. Um, also, you did plan your, your moves a few moves ahead. Um, and part of the advantage of that was that, theoretically, you should be able to look at what your opponent has coming up and sort of plan around and go, oh, he's activating that guy, then this guy, then that guy. Uh, so I'll try to adjust my game. Uh, but because of your own cue, you couldn't really quite take advantage of that uh, as much as I would have liked. Um, and also in smaller games, it was very easy to get locked into activating the exact same units in the exact same order uh, over and over again. Uh, so those were my issues with the queue. We replaced them with activation tokens. And the way those work is you have a set number of activation tokens. You place one on a unit, it activates, um, then your opponent does the same thing. It comes back to you. Uh, when you run out of activation tokens, you pick them all back up and you do it again. And this functions similarly to the queue uh, in the sense that the queue had slots. So let's say in a 50-point game, the queue would have three slots. And if you ended up with fewer than three units, then there were placeholder cards that would come up and meant that you couldn't activate a unit, uh, which is sort of like any miniatures game. When you have fewer guys on the table, you can do less stuff. Right. Yep. Uh, without those placeholder cards, you get down to one guy left and just get to use them over and over and over again, uh, which actually did happen in first edition. Um, so the activation tokens, because they're a set number, as you lose guys, you also are going to lose some activations. Uh, so it works similarly to the queue in that sort of limited aspect. Uh, but it's different in that you get to choose to activate whoever you want when it's your turn. Uh, provided, of course, they have not already activated. All right. um, I, was go- I was going to say, the- is there anything to prevent you from activating the same guy multiple times, but you can't. You can't. Right, yeah, exactly. If he has a token on him, you can't activate him again. You actually can put another token on him, and there are guys that say, uh, when this unit gets an activation token, if it's the second one, do X, right? Um, like maybe they can make a ranged attack or draw you some cards or whatever. Uh, but that's a special ability. Right, okay. Uh, Generally, you can't activate a unit that already has a token. Um, But yeah, it puts the decision point on the point where you are activating the unit, which allows you to react to the battlefield. You say, oh, he activated, you know, that unit over there last turn, and he grabbed that objective. I need to activate the unit near it to try to get it off the objective, right? Whereas with the Q, you might be stuck. Um, So yeah, that was the, uh, the reasoning for the change. 
Oh, so just to, oh, sorry, sorry Joe. I was just going to say that the mat was essentially a, a rubber or whatever material version of the the paper cue that that came with the the original game. So that's what the mat was referring. That's what Mike was referring to. So it was just a a more posher version of of a mat to put your your cue down for one and one point five. Okay. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm not too familiar with. The, I don't do the production side, so I, I don't know. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think the ta- the um, the tactical flexibility you'll get out of that Activision token idea are going to open up a lot more pathways for the players then, because you're going to give you the option to do so many more things. I like that. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're going for. Uh, and and it's been interesting seeing the you know the initial response to the change in direction because. Obviously, you know, any new game system uh, or when, when people change things, uh, there is always the, a sort of negative and positive side. You know, you get the, the the people who go, oh, the world, it's the end of the world type thing. And then there's the people who go with the flow or uh, and then the people who actually try and put something into it in terms of the, the playtesting sort of side of stuff as well to, to give it a good go. So I'm guessing you've seen this all before, Justin. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, I worked on on Malifaux Second Edition, so I've uh, I've taken a miniature game into a new edition before, and uh, I think you pretty accurately described the sort of range of emotions. Um, you're going to have some people who aren't going to want any change at all. They think the original Relic Knights was the best game ever made, and there's no reason to change it. Um, and more power to those people, right? Like I'm glad that they liked it. Uh, that doesn't make them wrong. It's it's a matter of opinion. Um, you're going to get people who are like, oh, I this aspect used to turn me off about the game, but you fixed it. Thank you. Right. Um, you're going to get totally new players who maybe weren't interested in the original system who are sort of interested now. Uh, and you're going to get people who are in between, like maybe they're scared of the changes at first, but then they try them. They come around to some of them. They don't like others. Um, that's how addition changes kind of go. So at the moment you're sort of sort of it is are you putting effort into the into the factions and models as well as the the new rules to to sort of yeah. work work the flavor of the the factions as well? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the new uh things that we introduced were these faction tokens um that sort of lightly theme your faction. Uh I'll actually talk a little bit about the factions here. I was I was um, going I was going to say there'll be a lot of people listening who won't know what the factions are in Relic Knights, and what the distinctions between the factions are. So if you could just touch on that, Justin, that would be excellent. Yeah, so I'll just I'll go through it real quick. There are six factions. Try not to miss any. Uh, we have the Doctrine, who are sort of the arcane spellcasters. Uh, a lot of them are like anime schoolgirl-themed. Uh, they're, they, they're really good at magic. Um, and so, again, it's a sci-fi anime world, but magic does exist. It's a, an energy called Esper. There are six Esper types, and each one is sort of linked to a faction. Um, And now, as I said earlier, uh, Relic Knights does not use dice. It uses cards. And it uses its own specialized deck called an Esper deck. And that Esper deck contains these six different types of Esper. Each one is sort of linked to a faction. Um, And so you have guys with guns. You have, like, schoolgirls casting magic spells on them. It's really sort of bright, vibrant, cool world. Um, so there's Doctrine. you got your Magic Schoolgirls. Always got to have that. Uh, there's Cersei Speed Circuit, 
they come from a planet called Cersei, and they're all uh, racers and um, sort of thrill seekers. So they're the super mobile faction. Uh, they're really good at grabbing objectives. They have uh, speed bikes and they do drive-by shootings and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, you have the Shattered Sword Paladins. They're sort of what you could imagine. They're, they're paladins. They are really well armored. They're sort of the tanky faction. They have good close combat. They're very righteous and virtuous, sort of the defenders of the universe type of people. Um, you have the Black Diamond. They are a mercenary group. These are some of the bad guys. They do lots of uh, crazy evil experiments. And so one of the cool things about Relic Knights is that you have a, a leader of your army, generally called a Relic Knight or a Questing Knight, uh, and they often have a companion called a Cypher, which is sort of a manifestation of that Esper magic we talked about. Um, and Black Diamond sort of specializes in capturing these things and doing cruel experiments on them. Uh, and they are the mercenary faction, so they also have lots of shooting and are sort of more of a tight-knit modern-day military organization. Um, you also have the No Empire. These are your, that's your monster faction. Uh, they're Oni Japanese themed again, anime influenced. So you get your big, scary, close combat monsters. Um, they also have some cool psychic attacks and sort of, uh, uh, movement manipulation. Um, and then finally you have the, uh, the Corsairs, which are space pirates. Um, and space pirates are awesome. I don't need to say much more on those. Um, so yes, those are your six factions. I suppose you've also got the Void and and uh, the Radiant. Uh, That's true. So there's factions. also Void and Radiant, which are sort of uh, catch-alls. Uh, void encompasses the three sort of bad guy factions: the No, the Corsairs, um, and Black Diamond. Radiant en- encompasses the three good guy factions, uh, being the Shattered Sword Paladins, the Doctrine, and Cersei Speed Circuit. Um, and this is sort of where you get. Uh, your list that you can mix and match. So if you take a Radiant Hero, you can pick from any of the three good factions. If you pick a Void Hero, you can pick from any of the three bad factions. And uh, Radiant Void also generally can be taken in other lists as well. Cool. I like it. <laughs> they, had, they, had the, they had some of the coolest models. Um, yeah. the, Void, the Void Reaper thing was very cool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the uh, the sort of angel-looking. Yes. Uh, Emilio, Emilio, and <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm casting my mind back to when I played. So one of the things that one of the issues that I had with the get with the game at the time was that if if and I might be mis I might be misremembering, but if you were a particular faction and then you you got access to a certain amount of certain types of powers. And then if you had a cipher, you got different types of powers as well. And so you, you ended up with, you know, your cipher could cast umpteen different special abilities that were scattered over five or six different cards in the Esper deck and things. Have you sort of simplified all of that down? Oh, or, yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we basically got rid of all that. So basically, it's uh, you have a, a unit stat card, and on it, it says what it can do. Uh, it will also have a few keywords that you might have to look up in the rulebook, uh, which is very common um, for those types of games, right? Yep. But uh, for the most part, if you have the unit stat card, uh, you have what it can do. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed from from the version 2 stuff that's out there on, on the site, um, the cards are 
before there was like potentially three cards and then you went through uh, with some of the newer models you started to just drop to one card which was potentially double sided so um that's that's where we are now and the stats are a lot cleaner and simpler um as you'd expect from a, a game that sort of moved on uh, and taken influence from other sort of design of those sorts of part aspects of the game okay uh, and the other thing i mean you you've touched on it already justin the other thing that that's popping around in one game that I played, um, if I remember rightly, you had to hit a certain amount of a different of a certain type of Esper to do a particular ability on a card. And for some reason, when I was playing this particular game, I could never get the right amount of cards in my hand to do any of the abilities on my questing night that I wanted to be able to do. It was just one of those right. games where your deck hates you. Um, yeah, well, do you still run into that sort of issue, or potentially you can do? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you can you can miss. So yeah. in in version one, part of what you're remembering, and this is a big change we made, was that you had a hand of Esper cards, and your guy would have an ability. Let's say that it costed a three red to make the ability work. He had to pay three red to attack. You had to pay three red from your hand to attack. Um, if you didn't have it, you couldn't do it. Period. Um, and there were actions such as refocus, which allowed you to sort of skip your action to draw more cards, but that's a little dull, right? Um, so now in 2.0, we have a flip system. So let's say you have a guy with a ranged attack. He needs three red to uh, make it work. Um, you look at his range skill. Let's say his range skill is three. That means you flip three cards from the top of your deck. If you get three red, the ranged attack goes off. Uh, and at this point, you can also play cards from your hand. So let's say you flip the cards, you flip two red, you play one red from your hand, your guy shoots. Um, or let's say you flip all three red. Great, your guy shoots. Um, or you flip no red, you play three from your hand, your guy shoots. Um, but let's say you flip one red, you don't have any red in your hand, that's a miss. Um, but it's no different than in any other game. Uh, you know, in Warhammer, I go to attack you, I roll a one, yep. I miss. Right. So that's going to happen sometimes. Uh, but you at least got to like go for it and try to take your action and, and take that risk and see what happened. Whereas in version one, you would just be looking at your hand to go, well, I guess, well, I can't, I can't. Yeah, do it was, it was very much, it was very much, I mean, certainly the, this particular game I'm remembering was very much a hand crafting exercise. You were trying to craft your hand to get your models to do things. Yeah. Um, and you spent, I spent several turns just effectively crafting my hand. Yep. And that's, that is very much the way that uh, 1.0 played. Uh, but we're moving away from that, uh, like I said, with the flip system. So even if you don't have what you need in your hand, uh, you can still flip and go for it. Uh, I think the other difference is, Justin, is that you had the, the concept of held Esper in 1 and 1.5, uh, and that at the moment seems is not there. So Esper was essentially, you know, as, as Justin's already said, was a it's one of the the colors that uh, on the cards that you can use to power up stuff and you could you could um the units or certain units in your cadre could essentially store um esther the specifically the knights but also some hero characters as well uh, and you could use those that stored esper to power up your abilities or pay for your abilities as well and at the moment in the current version of 2 that there isn't the you don't have that um, yeah. 
Yeah, that's correct. So in 1.0, there was uh, a resource, like you said, called Held Esper. And that's generally what you could get by kind of skipping your action, right? And there'd be a little, uh, you could put a counter on your card or fill in a little dot to note that you had it. And it was essentially like a wild card that you could spend later. Um, but yeah, a lot of 1.0 was crafting your hand, building up Held Esper, and then going for like one or two big attacks, right? Yeah. Um, whereas with version 2, since you can flip cards and kind of go for it, you're going to have a lot more attacks. Sometimes you miss, sometimes you hit. And it's going to be about managing those cards in your hand for when you know you absolutely have to hit. So let's say you have three of your color in your hand. You flip. Uh, you make an attack. You flip. You didn't get what you needed. You can pay for it, but maybe you want to save those cards for a later attack you deem more important. Or maybe you pay now and hope that that later attack uh, will hit randomly, right? Um, so now the cards in your hand are more of a... Uh, sort of a bonus, like a, a die reroll, uh, than they are this resource that you absolutely have to be able to do anything. Um, and it's sort of, we're moving the focus away, because uh, in 1.0, between the queue that you had to manage, uh, having to sculpt your hand, quite a lot of the game was not played on the board. Quite a lot of the game was played in your hand and in the queue, and sort of in this side card game that was going on off the table. And so with 2.0, we're trying to move that focus back onto the table. It's the models who are doing things, models who are moving around, models who are taking actions. Um, and we have incorporated these rules, like being able to flip to hit, uh, like getting rid of the queue to sort of focus the action there. I think there were often times, I mean, when I first started playing, Justin, I think uh, the, the, the one thing I, I noticed with this game was that it was com- it was a very different feeling to anything else that I played as a tabletop game, uh, skirmish game. Um, and at some points during the game, it, you felt quite insular when you were playing it. Um, and the, the fact that you had an opponent was not necessarily, um, evident or took, you know, was part of your game because of the, the nature of the rules and also the nature of the, the missions that were played. Because that's the other big thing that's changed at the moment is, uh, is, th- is you know the, essentially the win conditions for the game, um, right. but quite often you sort of you'd be trying to it was a it was a quite a lot of movement on the table and you were trying to reach stuff or get to a particular place or or occasionally kill stuff as well but it was very much a, a positional handcrafting um, experience as well. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the times you were kind of playing your own game, just that happened to be across from the opponent. Yeah. Um, in 1.0. So in 2.0, we're really trying to get players to interact more, just like in any miniature game. Yeah. Um, so the objectives now, you score points for uh, killing your opponent's guys. Uh, there are also objectives on the board, and you score points by starting your activation in contact with your opponent's objective. Uh, and they can stop you by either killing you, moving you, or uh, you also don't score if you're engaged in melee. Um, and so even though you score points by just sort of being near their objective they then have to come to you and stop you and interact with you. Uh, and that is the core scenario for the game, but there's also uh, a bunch of advanced scenarios near the back for players who want even more objective-based play. Uh, but even so, all of those objectives, the goal is to get the players interacting with their opponent, right? That's why you're there. You're sitting across the table from somebody. You want to try to stop them and have them try to stop you and try to kill their guys and have them try to kill your guys. Um so we're really trying to put the focus there. Uh, so 1.0 had some great ideas. I love the Esper deck. 
I love the hit and run uh, mentality that I talked about earlier with the move action move. I love the world. I think the factions are great. Uh, but the focus was a little bit too far off the table, too much in your hand, too much in the queue. So we're just trying to move that focus to the models on the table and to your opponent across from you. Yeah, and I mean, there were ish, uh, genuine issues with with one five. You know, linked the concept of the linked thing, which I feel very much is is where the the activation token. It almost feels as though you're permanently in a linked playing a linked model. So f- for those who don't know, um, which will be in, most most people in in the original game, the queue. You, as as Justin said, you would have a number of cards, and that would be your activation sequence. And the queue every time you activate a model um, would get reset, or one card would get reset. Um, but there was a concept of linked models where you could draw a card into what was your ready ready state, so you would be activating that model, and that model had a special rule on it which allowed you to link it to a specific model, uh, and essentially that allowed you to have two activations and oh the you, um, you, the the spanner girl and the yellow robot thing betty, betty and lug yeah and uh sophia drake and the black diamonds uh uh well known uh but yes so there, there was and, it, and they kind of fixed that in 1.5 it had a better feel um and it's quite funny when i first when we first played our first game of two um the immediate feeling was that I, I was playing a permanent link model and, and that wasn't a bad thing, you know? Um, and despite the sort of initial read of the rules, getting my figures out on the table, the relic Knight figures, um, and playing gave me a buzz again. So I was, uh, I was back in the zone again and I just want it to be ready now. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you getting it on the table and playing and to any current Relic Knight players out there, anyone who backed the Kickstarter, uh, if you can, get those models on the table. Uh, get me those game reports. Um, it's so much appreciated. It helps us so much. Uh, and any report that's sent to me through our official uh, link, it's it's in the Kickstarter updates, um, I personally reply to. Uh, I know I emailed Connor, I think, yesterday. Um, Conrad, sorry. Um, <laughs> and Connor. Oh, you are. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so if you can get the, those models on the table, uh, it, it just helps us so much. And if you just give it a try, um, I really appreciate it. Um, and I just realized that uh, a few minutes ago, I was going to start talking about the different faction activation tokens, and I got distracted talking about the factions. <laughs> um, so I wanted to go into those a little bit. So one of the ways that we're theming the factions in the new edition is by giving each faction a different resource, which I think has been pretty fun so far. So, for example, the No, who are your big Oni melee guys, uh, they have an ability called Bloodthirsty. Uh, when they damage an enemy in melee, they get a blood token. Uh, the Black Diamond, who are sort of the shooting organized military guys, uh, whenever they damage an enemy with a shooting action, they get uh, a mark token. They have an uh, ability called Kill Marks, like they're, you know, marking off how many units they killed com- and competing with each other. Um, Cersei's Speed Circuit. The racers have an ability called Pit Stop. When they come into contact with an enemy objective, they get a Pit Token. Um, and then every single leader has a Cadre ability, which is an ability that affects your entire Cadre. Cadre in Relic Knights is the word that we use for army or crew. It's just your models. Um, so basically, all of you, the units in your army gain an ability that keys off of that token, depending on your leader. Uh, so for example, one of the Cersei leaders 
lets you discard a pit marker to move uh, double your movement, and you get to disengage from melee for free. Um, so one of the Black Diamond guys lets you discard your kill marks to make to boost your ranged attacks. Um, one of my one of my favorites is one of the No leaders can discard blood counters from units around him to make additional melee strikes, and he he just goes berserk and makes a billion melee strikes. The the marker the counters his guys have been building up. Um, so you have that sort of light faction theming and how you get these different uh, tokens. And then your leader gives you a unique ability around them that really lets you craft your army and have different play styles uh, that I think has been working out pretty well. I'm pretty excited about. What What's the feedback and playtesting been like, um, uh, given, the, given the, the community and the, and the Kickstarter, um, the timing of the Kickstarter and, and uh, you know, the initial response to 2 to and 2-1? Uh, it, I mean, it sort of varies. Um, I read everything on our forums, and I read everything that's emailed to me through that uh, playtest link. Um, so far, it's been pretty good. So people were a lot happier with the change to activation tokens than I thought they would be. I thought that would be the big change I'd really have to make, get out there and make some arguments for. But generally, the worst feedback I hear about that was, Oh, it actually, it's okay. I was really scared of it, but it it's fine. Um, and then you also have people who are really excited for it. So that went over great. Um, moving to flipping cards uh, to pay for your actions instead of just playing paying purely out of your hand has gone over pretty well, too. There's a few people who um, basically don't like missing, which is understandable. I don't like it either. Um, and we also really have to work on the ratios, make sure players have enough cards in their hand and drawing enough. Uh, that's a issue of tweaking numbers, but I think it's gone over pretty well. Um, the big divisive thing that I totally didn't see coming was we also changed the way armor works. So in first edition Relic Knights, if a unit had armor of, let's say, two, it's basically damage reduction. So if you took six damage, you have armor of two, you take four damage. Um, we changed it to a flip system, where if you have armor of two, you flip two cards. If you get your Esper type, you can prevent some damage. So it's more like a, an armor roll in 40k. Um, there were a lot of vocal people who did not like that. Um, and that one sort of surprised me. Uh, but we've been working on it. I believe very much in community feedback. I read all of that. And so one of the things in Relic Knights is when you get attacked, you can usually make a defense action. It'll be written on your card. Um, and we had some defense actions that added armor. So basically you'd flip cards or play cards from your hand to get this defense action off. That would get you more armor that would let you flip more cards. Uh, that has gone away due to the community feedback, and now if you pay for defensive action, um, you will absolutely get some sort of guaranteed defense. So you have two types of defense. You have your built-in armor, which is flip cards, and then you have these actions that you pay for, which, again, you pay for them by flipping cards and playing cards from your hand. And if you get one of those off, you'll get definite damage reduction of some sort. Um, I have heard that the community on Facebook... Um, was not as happy, but I don't. Uh, I don't really know. Uh, I read our forums and I read the feedback that's sent to me, and so far that's it's gone over pretty well. Yeah, it, it, the UK community do have a sort of um, Relic Knights UK community page, so it's it's definitely. I know John get John Candies from who's also from Ninja Division um, gets on there quite often, um, but it's it's an another form of feedback, but 
I think people are starting to use the proper channels now, which are which are, as you said, the forums and the um, the playtest game submission website thing. But uh, yeah, armor armor was always going to be a sticking point because I don't think it was um, necessarily the best thing to have in um, in the original game. So it would probably come under scrutiny um, in the new edition quite heavily because armor was pretty pointless in the first game. To be fair, um, it was. I, I quite often play games where you'd have a press to try and increase armor, and it, and it really was pointless. Um, you may as well keep the cards to to do something else later on with another model potentially. What's um, a pr- what's a press? A press is where you print things. No, it isn't. So, so like other games, uh, you have a basic form of defense, attack, uh, um, attack mainly, uh, and a way of essentially making that better or adding some additional. Um, a a some, press uh, is a trigger in Malifaux. Yeah, there you go. I was gonna. I was. Try, I was trying not to relate it to Malifaux. It's, 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 it's a Malifaux trigger. So you pay for your action. Um, you need a certain amount of uh, Esper color. Um, and then if you get additional colors beyond that, there will be additional things you can do. So let's say your action costs two red to do your shooting attack. And then you'll have a press for one blue that if you get that as well, then your shooting attack will also push the guy. Right? Um, so it functions almost exactly like a like a trigger in Malifaux. Um, actually, so we've done a lot of talking about Relic Knights, uh, the changes to the new edition. Did... Uh, Matt or Joel or Mike, did you have any questions about Relic Knight, sort of just in general, um, as a as a newer player? I, I do. I have one or two. If I mean, a, a getting into a new edition is usually a good time to sort of get into the game. What do I actually? If I was going to buy in, what would I need to get to, to get myself a starting block, a starting cadre? Great. Um, so we have uh, we're going to have a two player starter. Uh, that's going to come out and be out in stores. Uh, so that's a great first buy. It'll walk you through how to play the game. Uh, the factions in there are Radiant and Void, and we touched on those earlier, but just to recap, those are sort of the catch-all factions, which means that you can then later go on to use those models in whatever specific faction you decide to pick up. Um, so that's the first place I would have you look. Uh, after that, we, of course, have the Relic Knights core book, which has uh, fluff for the universe. It has lots of cool art and the rules. Um, and then you're going to need a cadre or your, your army, your crew. Uh, you usually need mm, five to six units. So you're going to want uh, a Relic Knight or a Questing Knight as your leader uh, and a couple of additional units. So let's say you picked up the two-player starter and you're interested in playing... Uh, Cersei Speed Circuit. Uh, if you picked up the two-player starter, picked up a Relic Knight for Cersei Speed Circuit, and then maybe two more units, you'd be pretty well set to start playing, uh, mixing in some of the starter units, um, and then kind of learn the game, and from there figure out what models you like, what models you don't like, and kind of expand. Uh, oh, you'll also need an Esper deck, which okay. is a deck of cards used for resolution, um, and a tape measure and a place to play. <laughs> uh, what side balls do you play on as well? Uh, three by three. Oh, cool! I've got those. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it's also it's it's a very terrain heavy game. Like I said, there's no ranges for shooting attacks. 
And you have the move action move thing, so we want units who are ducking in and out of terrain. Um, so a three by three board with lots of terrain uh, is 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 what we're looking for. And really, any sort of terrain would work because in the Relic Knights universe, there's a lot of different very worlds. Um, so anything from like a steampunky board to a sci-fi infinity board uh, will do you just fine. Cool. I like that. If there's no avenge, do you have how does line of sight work? Uh, line of sight, it's an abstract system. Uh, so there's height values, um, and you uh, basically you draw lines from your base to the base of the model you're targeting. Um, if any terrain falls within that window, uh, then that terrain blocks your line of sight, uh, so long as it is equal to or greater in height uh, than either of the units. Um, if you're on top of elevated terrain, uh, then you add the height of that terrain to your height, um, and you can also kind of ignore terrain that's lower than you. So it's a really simple, abstract line of sight system. Cool. All right. Get me around that one. Nice. Um, I mean, my question, my question always for any new game is, is there a Japanese type themed faction? And of course there is, because the No Empire are very much. They're all, uh, they all are. Yeah, they all are. Yeah. Yeah, But you know what I mean? Not kind of manga anime. I mean, kind of more traditional and you know, the models in the No Empire are particularly, up my alley, so to speak, but um, they're, they're very more oriental down up your alley, definitely. Yes, yes. See, I would have thought that the schoolgirls would be more up his alley, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, yeah. The, the issue around them is is it'll be interesting to see how they're fed back because there has been, and it's probably maybe not a question for Justin because it's not a rules question as per se. A design question is kind of how acceptable that kind of cheesecake style of miniature is these days. And it, there was even some in the first edition that kind of made me, even with my liberal view, view on such things, um, raise an eyebrow. But I guess that's a more of a kind of production design and, and miniature design question than rules design. Yeah, it's sort of, a, sort of an art production question. And, and yeah. a lot of that art was done uh, in first edition, which, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it was it was the one that the one that put me off playing the old man pinching the schoolgirl's back doctrine yeah the old guy pinching the schoolgirl's backside that was yeah they took that art but they never made that into a miniature if I recall correctly that put me off completely that that entire faction was just I don't know so what are the models made of now um, in first in first edition they were spun rustic type stuff and it worked brilliantly on the larger models um you know the relic knights and things on the 28 millimeter scale you know the human types on quite a lot of the sculpts it wasn't great i shall say now i should be polite and say and say that there were there issues have they have you changed the material that they're made out of yes um so I'm going to give this a caveat that if I say anything that's different than the Kickstarter, the Kickstarter is correct because I do not do production. <laughs> hey, um, that, I've been waiting to get that quote out of you all interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's my classic. I should just, I should, I should open with that. You should have a T-shirt made with it, certainly. Uh, yeah, but uh, we're moving to some sort of plastic. It's plastic or resin. Um, yeah, this... everything will be either plastic or resin. I'm not sure which. You'd have to check the Kickstarter. Uh, is, it, is, it but the same, is it the same stuff that you make the Super Dungeon Explore figures out of? 
Uh, I do not know. Because that, that stuff is excellent. He doesn't do production, I pay attention. No, I know, but the super, the stuff that the Super Dungeon fi- Explore figures was made out of is absolutely brilliant stuff. Um, they, you know, it's nice, hard, captures the <laughs> detail really well. They, they are resin, as far as I can see, uh, and they switched over uh, late in, as they started to talk about the Kickstarter, so it was probably 1.5-ish, when the 1.5 rules came out, they started to do produce some of their newer models uh, in this resin, and also uh, there was talk then about re-sculpting or recasting in... And I believe they're working with Prodos um, to, right, to do okay. that. I mean, certainly, I've just, I've just gone... So there, is a, there, was a second, there was a second Kickstarter, should say that, and um, if you search for it on Kickstarter, um, it appears you can still do a late pledge... Correct. Um, to get you know your box set, etc. And I think it's up. It's up in the Soda Pop store as well. I think. Yes, um, it is. Yeah. I seem. I seem to because I was buying Super Dungeon Explore figures the other day. Um. And I noticed. I noticed it's up there. So the the stuff. The stuff's there now. One of the one of the other big issues that we had with first edition. And again, you won't be able to answer this, Justin. But you can feed. <laughs> you can feed it back. It, you couldn't get the stuff here. We all we mm. got we got our Kickstarter stuff, and then there were other there were other units in the box in the book etc. Um, and you just couldn't get them. And if you, and if you were trying to interest someone, um, you know you did it. You ran a demo, and they didn't have access to the kicks. They didn't have the Kickstarter stuff. They couldn't. You couldn't say, "Here you go. Here's the stuff." It, I'm working on the assumption that that all those sorts of problems are going to be out. You know done and then we'll be able to get the stuff over in Europe without an issue. I, I most certainly hope so. Um, actually, I've already brought this up. Uh, I've mentioned that uh, the UK scene is really really important for miniatures games. Um, so I hope so. Uh, but that is not, uh, it's not, not something yeah, that It's not I in have. your wheelhouse. But... Yeah, no. But I mean, it's, 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 you know, I mean, we, I, on this show, we talk about a lot of miniature games, and a lot of the miniature games, from our point of view, are dead in the water because you can't get that. You just can't get the stuff over here. You know, I'll throw Wrath of Kings, Wrath of Kings, Dark Age. Throw those sorts of games out there. That, you know, it's next to impossible to get the stuff, and so the commu- there isn't the commu- there isn't the communities there, and there aren't the people who are willing to put the effort in to create a community. Right. Yeah, uh, I have I have expressed how important that is, um, and I felt that I was well listened to. But that is that is all that I I can say. Yeah, that's fair enough. I've got a rules design question. Excellent. So in in coming in, um, and it's a it's a pre existing um, product. Did do you look at it um, and? If you've continued to listen to me and Mike, and if you haven't, shame on you. But if you have, you know there is this, there's the holy grail of finding a kind of sci-fi-based skirmish game that fits a particular niche. When you came in to be involved in 2.0 or second edition, whatever, um, did you approach it looking at, is there a space in the market that I want to occupy with these rules, or were you more of 
here's where I want to compete against a pre-existing property. Um, so I don't, when I design rules, I don't look at the existing market as much. I think that the place for that is when you're doing the initial concepting of a game. You know, mm-hmm. do we make this fantasy or sci-fi? How many units do we want people to have? Um, uh, art direction, initial world building, et cetera, et cetera. You should absolutely look at those niches in the market. Mm. Um, once it gets to me, and particularly once I'm I'm designing a new edition, and a lot of that has sort of been locked in, really all that I look at is, is this a good game? Are these yeah. good rules? Is this fun? Um, I don't really care uh, if it's innovative. I mm. don't really care if what I'm doing has never been done before, right? So, like, if I get feedback and say, well, you know, this works kind of like that other game, like, I don't really care. Or if yeah. I get feedback that says, well, there are no other games that do this, like, again, I don't really care, so long as what it is doing is good. Yeah. Um, so sort of my philosophy, once we're at the rules designing stage, is that good rules sell games. Yeah. Um, balanced rules sell miniatures. So, you know, I always hear these conspiracy theories about, uh, you know, oh, they they came out with this new release and they made it overpowered so they'd sell more. And it's like, okay, maybe they did that. But if they did, they have a very bad strategy because while they're selling more of that one skew, they hurt every other skew yeah. in their line. Yeah, it just breaks, breaks the um, game. So I think that good, solid game mechanics and balanced units are going to mm-hmm. sell you more games than going out of your way to hit an itch or avoid an itch or... Yeah. Uh, you know, making broken stuff or any of that. Um, and now then that gets into the question of what is good. Uh, and then I'd say, I'd push you to how important I believe community feedback is. Mm-hmm. Um, so please get on our forums and send me those reports. Oh, that's cool. So uh, the age old question that you'll hear certainly for, for GW um, type games is, Justin, can I use my old figures with the new game? No, if you do, I will fly over there and I will take them in the night. <laughs> I'm going to cry now. No, I'm, jo- I'm joking. <laughs> yes, yes, you can use the old figures, of course. So do, do, they, do, they get, do you get the new cards for everything, Justin? Is that the way it's going to work? Correct. Yeah, uh, it's it's like your standard edition change. We have a new rule book. We have new cards for all the units. We'll have sort of an upgrade deck. I think that actually might be what we're calling it, um, where you can buy them all uh, and in one in one place if you have the older models. So, so here's a question: they had a they had a electronic app thing. Are they uh, planning to sort of update that as well? Do you know? Uh, not. I have not heard anything about that. Okay, that'd be interesting to see but if they do that. That that's not a no. That's a I I don't know. Yeah, no, I figured that. But it'd be interesting to see if they they actually support it with that as well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And and the for the future, just I mean, do you, I, I assume that you have a you know a a longer term a longer term plan on this with you know ongoing releases because that was one of the, that was one of the other things. It sort of you know with version one, the momentum sort of stalled, and then there wasn't anything for ages. And Conrad and I had multiple discussions about is anything going to happen? And then I got rid of my stuff because I didn't think anything was going to happen. And then the, was it, the, was it then the 1.5 book Conrad came out? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so, 
Sorry, well, no, it's not a book. It was just a. It was just an up a download. They, they, they haven't actually produced a book as such. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, we we absolutely plan on uh, continuing to make it, uh, continuing to support it. Um, I know that just updating the older units is a good year's worth of releases, probably. Um, and that's plenty of time to design more stuff, sculpt more models. And um, as long as people are playing it and engaged, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we definitely want to support it. Want to make it a sort of a, a pillar of the company, you know? Cool. Um, you just want to keep making so, it yeah. so you don't have to get involved in the pony game, don't you? I, I love the pony game. <laughs> no, I have, I have that book. I got a, a damaged copy out of the warehouse, and my daughter, she's three, she brings it to me probably every night. Dada, we read a story? And I'm like, no, that's a role play. Dada, we read a story. Like, okay. So I'm, I'm reading my kid role playing rules every night. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be playing them soon. Yeah. <laughs> see, I know. I know. See, I know people who play that. Worrying. <laughs> oh, no. Right. Are any on this call at the moment? No, there are none on it. There are none on this. Call. There are no. There are no bronies on the call, as far as I know. <laughs> Is that what they're called, bronies? Well, that's that's. Um, my, my grown-up male My Little Pony enthusiasts are called bronies, yeah. Okay. Um, did anyone else, else have any questions for Justin, or shall we let him go? He needs to get on and, and earn his living sitting around <laughs> talking to us. So that'll be a no then from Matthew. Joel? I'm busy staring at all the wonderful pretty miniatures on the Kickstarter page at the moment going and drooling over some of the really nice ones. Right, so, so that's, <laughs> Joel spending, that's Joel spending money. Conrad? I'm good at the moment. I've got another playtest game tomorrow. I'm looking Excellent. forward to it. Cool, well make sure that you put via the forums send Justin the stuff. I, I did it last time. I know. did it last time. Uh, you're very good. good. You're, you're very good. Justin, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Uh, I just want to kind of go over the, the key points again before sure. we close out. Go ahead. Uh, sci-fi, anime-themed, skirmish miniatures game, uh, cards instead of dice. Uh, we got some really cool factions, some really cool models. You can still put a late pledge in on the Kickstarter if you're interested. If you have older models, um, I would really like you to get those uh, reports in. I would love to hear from you. Um, if you're out there on the Facebook group, uh, worried about being heard, email me. I will read it and I will respond. Um, and it's just such a cool game and such a cool world. And if you tried version one and you had issues, we're, we're moving that focus onto the table. We're keeping you interacting with your opponent. We got some really cool factions, some really cool models. And, uh, I hope you check it out. I've got one last question. Oh, for goodness sake. You're such an old man. (laughs) The additional scenarios that are currently in um, the rules, in the in the new rules, which are effectively there to try and cater for uh, the multiple missions that were in in the original Relic Knights, is there going to be more of those? More work put into those? Are they going to be a, a thing, or is the is the focus on this sort of initial basic mission? Because obviously, uh, a lot of people liked the, the short answer. Yes. Yeah. Good. Um, I was I was thinking of writing a few more before the end of the, the beta, but I'm not certain. Regardless, we we will we will write more. Um, I do want that sort of core scenario 
to be play test a lot. I think it's a great way of balancing the units because it's sort of the simple core scenario. It's a great way of testing out the core rule changes. Um, it's an important one to get right because that's how players will learn the game. Yep. Uh, so that is how I want to see the game tested. That being said, the advanced missions are absolutely important. Uh, I do plan on adding more, whether it's in the book or through downloadable content or probably both. Um, yes. Awesome. That was it, sorry. Are you done now? I'm done now. Are you sure? I am. Okay. Justin, as always, thank you very much. Thank you. And um, until next time, oh, this is going to take forever. I've been Mike. I've been Joel. I've been Conrad. I've been Matt. And I've been Justin. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. You can contact Fools Daily on Twitter, we're at Fools Underbar Daily, or via email, foolsdaily at outlook.com. <laughs> <laughs>